Laura, thanks to you and everyone um, who's been leading us in praise today. Um, Laura, you've stepped in at the last minute today, and we really appreciate that. And it's great to have our band. I'm looking down here. I can see some of the, the, the blowing members of the band back in with us again. And uh, it's good to have that involvement as well. So thank you, everyone. Now, I, I love being a Christian for all kinds of reasons. And I'm sure you do as well if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that I, that I really love about being a Christian is that it puts me into connection with people from all over the world. That in Christ, I have become part of a family that is worldwide. And that's been a real blessing to me down through the years. It's given me opportunities to meet with people from the United States and Canada, from Eastern Europe and other parts of the world. We love to form gospel partnerships like the one that we have with Rogerio in Portugal. And I really hope that someday we'll be able to get Rogerio over here to Connor so that you can hear for yourself all about what he is doing. And because I've become part of this big worldwide family, down through the years, I've had several opportunities to show people from overseas around our wee country, Northern Ireland. <clears throat> and I've driven many busloads of Americans around all of the sites. I've shown Finnish family members and visitors from Eastern Europe all the places that we would want to show them in our country, Northern Ireland. But tonight, I want you to imagine if we hosted a group from overseas here in Connor. And if I as minister was given the responsibility of deciding what they would do over the course of the week, and after that week was over, if I was talking to you as we had a cup of tea or coffee, or as I was in your home, and you said, so Philip, tell us all about it. What did you do? Where did you take them? How did you spend the week? Now, imagine if I started to tell you, well, you know, we had a great week. I took them on a walking tour of Balamina, and we spent about four or five hours just looking around, especially the shopping centers, just to let them compare the architecture and let them get a good look at that. And you might say, well, when you were in Balamina, did you take them on out to Grace Hill? Oh, no, we didn't have time for that. And then if I told you, and then the next day we took a day trip to Larne, mainly for the shopping, and, and we had a good walk around there as well. And the next day, well, I thought it would be nice to take them down to Portadown, Lurgan, and Craigavon. Did you know that Craigavon has a lake? And I just wanted them to see that. And of course, on the way, we stopped off in Lisburn because Lisburn has this amazing flax and linen museum, and I just knew they would want to stop off there. Uh, oh, and that was that. That was the week. Now, if I told you that, you would have every reason to say, Philip, what were you playing at? What about all the good places? When you were in Lorne, did you not think of taking them on up the coast, right the way up the Antrim coast, and taking them up as far as the Giant's Causeway? Or, or would you have not maybe thought of taking them down to the Mourns and down for a day around Newcastle, or you could have even gone across to Fermanagh and shown them the proper lakes, 
or, or maybe to Titanic quarter because Americans love that kind of thing. Why did you not make much more of the good parts? Now, I want to begin this series looking together at 1 Corinthians 15 with a big challenging question. Why do we not make much, much more of Jesus' resurrection? Well, perhaps there's a couple of reasons why we don't make as much of it as we should. Perhaps it's because while we would believe in the resurrection, and I imagine that tonight here in this building, if we did a survey and if you were put on the spot, you would say, absolutely, I believe that Jesus rose again. While we might believe in it, maybe it's hard for us to get our heads around exactly what the resurrection involved. What actually happened? What was it like for Jesus to be alive again? Or it might be that we, we do believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, but we, we can't see what it has got to do with us, what it means for us in our lives. We can be unsure what the implications of the resurrection of Jesus are for us as His followers and our future. And so, what tends to happen is that we spend much, much more time talking about the life and the death of the Lord Jesus. And it is right that we do that. It is so important that we seek to hear about Jesus' life and that we reflect on and understand His death. But so often we do that at the absolute expense of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And yet, is this not such a time for resurrection talk? We are not that far into a decade in which people have been confronted with the horrible reality of death. We've come through two years of a COVID pandemic, and right at the heart of the news that we're given about that are those daily statistics each night on our news, including the amount of people who died. And now Ukraine, and in an age of social media, and in an age of camera phones, well, the coverage is so immediate, and the images of death are so explicit that sometimes we think, hang on, I can't even watch that. But at any time, we have concerns about our own mortality, and we're meeting with people who are terribly scared of death. They may be reluctant to admit it, but you just know that it is something that absolutely terrifies them. So, when we read and talk about the gospel, what better news is there to proclaim to our family, our neighbors, our colleagues, to this community that we're part of, to this world, than the truth of Jesus' resurrection and the hope that it brings to those who believe in Him? So, this year, as we approach Easter, rather than having 
our annual one Sunday focus on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, we're going to have this series, and I'm going to seek to, to put right something that may be deficient in the life of our church and in our Christian lives as we take time to think about and rejoice in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what better place to look at in Scripture than 1 Corinthians 15? We know that all Scripture is God-breathed. It is God speaking to us. But some parts are particularly deserving of our attention. And 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. In it, the Apostle Paul tells the church in Corinth of the importance of the gospel, and he identifies the resurrection of the Lord Jesus as being central to that good news story. So, over the next month, culminating with Easter Sunday, that day when we particularly celebrate and think about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, we're going to study this amazing chapter, and we're going to consider these truths that are foundational to our hope. And tonight, for just a few moments, we're looking at the opening verses of the chapter, which one writer has described as the gospel in miniature. So, let's just jump straight in. Let's start at the very beginning in verse 1, where Paul tells us, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. But in actual fact, one great commentator, one great evangelical scholar of the Bible, the late Leon Morris, he wondered why modern translations translated verse 1 in this way, why modern translations have that phrase, remind you. Because he points out that in the original language, in the Greek, Paul doesn't actually use the word remind. That what he is literally saying is, I would have you know the gospel I preached. So, what is Paul getting at? Because is it not the case that the people that he is writing to already know the gospel. After all, they're not pagans. They are people who love Jesus. They are the church of Jesus Christ in the city of Corinth. And Paul is saying something here really challenging to them. It's as if he's saying, I want you to get to know the gospel better. And keep in mind that he's writing to believers in Christ. In fact, he's writing to people who have taken their stand on the gospel. As Paul puts it in verse 1, they have stood up for its truth. But in Paul's view, they need to get to know the gospel better. And I wonder straight away, can you see the challenge for us gathered here tonight? Because many people in this building this evening are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In your life at some point, you have accepted its message, the gospel's message about Jesus, and you have put your trust in Him. And in fact, the fact that you're here tonight 
that you're out for a, a second time of worship on a Sunday evening, it may well make you feel that you are part of the A team or the Premier League of Christians in this part of the world. And we can fall into the trap of thinking, here I am tonight, and really when it comes to the gospel, there is nothing more for me to work out. There is nothing more for me to know or learn about the good news of Jesus Christ. But Paul's saying, no, we need to get to know the gospel much, much better. And I just wonder tonight, are you lazy or complacent when it comes to the gospel? Is it your estimation that, yeah, look, I believe that, I've accepted that, that's fine, I know all about Jesus, and that's as far as we need to take it? Paul says, get to know the gospel much better. And that's why I want you to be here in the coming weeks. That's why I want all of us to ask God to help us to learn from His Word and really engage with what's being taught. But what does Paul teach us about the gospel in these verses at the beginning of this great chapter of Scripture? Well, a few things to think about tonight. First of all, he tells us of the gospel that it saves. Verse 2, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And what Paul is saying is that this is not just a message to understand. This is not just a message to listen to and absorb into your mind. No, it is a message that changes people as God works in their hearts, enabling them to understand and to believe the truth about His Son, Jesus. That's why the gospel is so incredibly important. But I want you to look at the second part of verse 2 again, because there is a qualification here. Paul is saying, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And you will only be saved if you believe in the one that the gospel is all about, the one that the gospel is bringing us to, the Lord Jesus. But what Paul is saying here is that this is an ongoing belief, that this is a continuous trust in Christ. It is not simply a moment and one single decision. Yes, of course, in the Christian life, in this walk with the Lord Jesus, there is a starting point. Jesus told Nicodemus in, in John chapter 3, you must be born again, and we must. But the literal translation of the first part of verse 2 here is you are being saved. We need to keep our trust in Christ and not fall away from believing Him. And why is Paul taking the time to state this to these Christians? Well, we'll hear more about this next week. The implication is that all is not well. With some of the Christians 
in this church in Corinth that Paul is writing to, that they're not actually holding firmly to the Word, and we'll see exactly what they're failing to believe when we come back to this chapter next week. But there's a real challenge for us tonight. Is that the case for anyone here tonight, that there was a point in your life when you recognized what the gospel tells us, when you came to believe its message and you were able to see your need of the Lord Jesus Christ, but that that has not amounted to continuing trust? Well, first of all, Paul tells us the gospel saves. Then the next thing he says is that it is trustworthy. And this gospel message is trustworthy because it is traditional in the very best sense of that word. Let me explain. Paul says to the Corinthians about this message in verse 3, for what I received, I passed on to you. Can you see that the chain there? This is something that I received, and now I've passed it on to you. And that is a key phrase to understanding the nature of the gospel. That is a key phrase when it comes to knowing that the gospel is trustworthy and having real confidence in it. Because what Paul is telling us here is that this is not a message that was invented by him. This wasn't a, an idea or a story that he came up with in his own mind. And he's reminding the Corinthians, what I'm saying to you now, this is not the first time you have heard this. But rather, Paul was a link in the chain of passing it on. And for just a moment, I want us to think a bit more deeply about this and really seek to understand this. Let's look at the timeline of this. We understand that this letter was written by the Apostle Paul around 55 AD, and it was around 25 years earlier, in 30 AD, that Christ died on the cross. And in the 25 years since, those key events of Jesus' life and His death and His resurrection had been passed on to people. There was a chain. And you really need to understand this. I want us to understand this in an age of such skepticism. Because nowadays, Easter is often accompanied by a program on Channel 4 or Channel 5, casting doubt on elements of the Christian message. And these programs tend to recycle tired old theories that some of the key beliefs in the Christian faith came much, much later. And you hear scholars and experts saying, oh, well, you know, the resurrection, nobody was talking about the resurrection until much, much later, and then someone introduced that idea, and Christians started to believe that. But that's not the evidence that we see here tonight from Paul. Paul is testifying to these key beliefs, the central facts of the gospel, and he's pointing out as early as the year 55, 
that they were already established facts, that what the Corinthians are receiving from him is nothing new. It's what they know to be true. And you might think, Philip, why the history lesson? Well, because this then gives us great confidence in the gospel. People have great confidence in the gospel, for it's the means by which God rescues. It's the way in which He saves sinful people like us, and it's trustworthy. It's not a message that came years on down the line, but it was built on the testimony of those who were with the Lord Jesus Christ, who witnessed the events, who heard Him teach, who watched Him in action. So, finally then, and really briefly, what is this good news message? Well, let's look at the next part of verse 3. Paul says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That's another key phrase. So, that the summary that Paul gives lists the things of fundamental importance. These are the core of the gospel that must be accepted by all true believers. And what are these facts? Well, he continues, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And do you notice that phrase that's repeated in that verse, according to the Scriptures? And in our mind, we might imagine that what Paul is talking about there is according to the gospel accounts, because they tell us these things that happened to Jesus. But remember, the gospel accounts were under construction when Paul wrote these words. The New Testament was a work in progress being written. So, the, the Scriptures that Paul is talking about in these verses are what we would describe as the Old Testament the Hebrew Scriptures that Paul and his fellow believers used. And you might think, well, where is the resurrection of Jesus or the, the death of Jesus mentioned in those Scriptures in the Old Testament? Well, what Paul is saying is very simple. According to the Scriptures, this is what God was pointing people to. He talked about the suffering servant who would be despised. He talked about how his son would rise and reign with him. And as you look at that summary of the gospel, just for one moment, note the scope of the gospel message. And notice that it involves the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, why do we limit it? Why in, in our minds do we so often imagine that the gospel only concerns the death of Christ? But the final thing, very quickly, and that is that the gospel works. Because we can't read this chapter without thinking about the experience of its writer Paul and the testimony that he gives us here in this chapter. Now, next week, 
we'll consider how the truth of the resurrection was validated by all of the people that met with the risen Christ, and you can see them listed there in verses 5 to 7. But I want us to finish by looking at verses 8 to 10, where Paul tells us, and this is a word of testimony, and last of all, He, that is the risen Christ, appeared to me also as one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not deserve, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But then he continues in verse 10, and what a wonderful verse, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And you'll notice in that one verse all of the occurrences of that word grace, because that's what Paul had powerfully experienced in his life, God's grace, God catching up with him, God drawing him to himself through his son Jesus and giving him forgiveness. And believer in Christ, isn't that our experience too? Folks, have confidence in the gospel because it still works. And at times when I might wonder about whether that is the case, God reminds me in the most wonderful ways, it still works. And what that means for you tonight, believer in Christ, is that you can have great certainty and assurance because it is all about God and His grace in Christ. And I hope that that is the case for people tonight, that you have experienced that grace and you know that grace in the Lord Jesus. And what this means for us in our job of spreading this gospel, of telling other people, is that we can have real confidence as we do that. Whether we do it in formal ways and together as a congregation, which we need to do, or whether you do that this week in simple ways in your everyday life with family members or neighbors or friends or colleagues, the gospel works. And central to this gospel is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the great foundation of our hope in what is such a hopeless world, but much more of that next week. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the gospel the good news of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that right at the heart of that lies his life, his death, and his glorious resurrection. Help us to understand these things, to be changed by these things, and to love our Savior and our risen Lord more and more. In his name we pray. Amen.